Jeff. Thank you so much for uh, calling in and talking to me once again. Don't we tend to uh, talk at least once every year or so? We do. We do. And, you know, I feel like at this point, you know, like I should buy you a bottle of wine or something. (laughs) You know, that sounds like a great idea. (laughs) You know, roses, something. I don't know. You know, I feel like we've reached that point in our relationship where we should be able to do that. Well, so how have you been doing? It's been, like I said, it's been a couple of years since we last talked. Um, You're hitting the road hard lately with um, this awesome new tour i spent the last 24 months touring the uh, uh operation mind crime 30 year anniversary tour right uh it went to 26 different countries and uh was amazingly successful i was so happy that there was so much interest you know in the in the record and and uh, also in uh interest in the show i was mm-hmm. actually quite surprised that the uh the tour lasted so long, um, but we kept getting, you know, multiple requests to come back, and uh, we did multiple dates in some in some markets, you know. So there was a real, you know, want to, um, you know, hear the music and to see the performance, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm very happy with that. So um, in January, uh, we just began and started the uh, 30-year Empire album anniversary tour Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's the 30-year anniversary of that record being released. So that's what I'm involved with right now. And that tour started in uh, Scandinavia in January. And then um, here we are in America now. And we're about, uh, I guess, maybe a week week and a half, two weeks into the tour right now. And we're in the Northeast, New Hampshire right now, Mm -hmm. actually. And the tour's going great. It's uh, a joy to play this music. And uh, something I've always wanted to do was play the Empire album in its entirety, which uh, there's a couple songs on the record that I'd never played before Mm -hmm. until this tour. So that's a real treat. And then also we're opening the show with uh, the entire Rage for Order album, which is another thing on my bucket list that I've always wanted (sighs) to do. I love that album. And uh, so it's a... it's an interesting presentation because Rage is very dark and introspective and somewhat slightly melancholy and dramatic. Mm-hmm. And Empire is very up and energetic and um, bright and shiny. So it's it's fun to play those two albums back to back and and kind of uh, revel in the uh, the contrast between the albums. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm feeling great and uh, the band's playing well. Um, and uh, people seem to be very, you know, uh, into the show. So that's cool. It's all good. So I have to say, I have two, you know, pretty incredible memories of both of these albums as a young, young person. Um, my mother took me to see Rat in 1987, and that was my first exposure to Queensryche and Rage for Order. And if you can imagine being, you know, 13 years old and trying to wrap your head around that, I was like wow, like, I don't know what to think about this, but like, it's so cool. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it was so, it was so different from like rat, you know what I mean? And it was just such an eye opener for me. But then, you know, obviously by the time mind crime came out, I was old enough to kind of grasp it and really kind of, you know, absorb it. And then for, you know, for empire, the building empires tour in Atlanta, I was actually grounded by my parents, I snuck out to actually go to the show. And when my dad 
caught me coming back in the, you know from the show he asked me where I was and I told him and I played him the Empire's album and he actually took me off of restriction and said that's a band worth sneaking out to go see <laughs> <You know? laughs> so rest in peace wow. my dad you know my dad was a very unfiltered and you know you know unapologetic person when it came to his you know opinions on music and he just thought that empire was such a great thing and of course that album meant a lot to me because you know again i was at a certain age where i was able to kind of absorb the songs and coming off of the kind of darker conceptual aspect of mind crime you know building empire i mean empires it was building empires tour but the empire album was very like you said it was kind of like upbeat and it was very like you know compartmentalized from song to song now mm-hmm. going back and playing this album 30 years later which makes me feel old is that um what particular songs did you find yourself revisiting to get to this album that you kind of maybe felt like you reconnected with in a different way? And were any of them like particularly challenging? Well, I think the thing that really struck me with revisiting the album and preparing, you know, the live show mm-hmm. was that the topics of the songs are so timely uh, even though they were written 30 years ago, the subject matter is very relevant today. Uh, still, you know, we're talking about you know violence in the inner cities and the frustration that we all have with that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about homelessness and that blight that is on our country and in our, our communities everywhere across the country. Uh, we're talking about uh, the, the setbacks that some people... Um, experience and how they uh, beat those setbacks and come back to be, uh, you know, a functional uh, person in society. Um, Environmentalism uh, with climate change, you know, just creeping around our necks right now. A song like Resistance, which was written in regards to Earth Day and the protests of, of, uh, uh, against uh, you know, corporate uh, greed and takeover mm-hmm. in the 90s. Uh, these, these songs, they just ring true and powerful today, to me at least. And um, I hear that reflected in comments from uh, people seeing the show as well, that it's, it's, uh, it's like 30 years is a long time, but yet we're still dealing with the same issues, you know? Yeah, I just recently uh, did a piece on my blog where I broke down the both of the albums because of this tour you know and i really wanted to revisit these albums song for song and kind of absorb them and give my thoughts on each of the songs and one of the things i did notice exactly what you said was that i actually do feel that these topics and these lyrics are very much relevant and in some cases i almost feel like these songs were kind of like very forward thinking but also like unfortunately these songs are still relevant if that makes sense you know because yeah 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 exactly my point too and in interestingly enough with rage for order um at the time it was regarded and and described as being sort of futuristic in the the Mm -hmm. subject matter you know but yet here we are in the future now and a song like surgical strike you know is, is talking about 
using GPS tracking systems, you know, which we use every day now. They're just, they're just part of our lives. But back then, nobody knew what that was about, you know, or what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and we're talking about, you know, artificial intelligence and how computers are going to be turning into, uh, you know, some sort of form of human being in the near future. And, you know, sh- surely enough, you know, we're, we're experiencing that now with all the experiments with AI and the progress that that's taken. It's uh, pretty phenomenal, you know. Yeah, because one of the things that did connect with me so much, especially with the Rage album and some and a good bit of the lyrical content is again I mean not to be too repetitive but how some of this stuff is very relevant and I love the fact that there were you know certain songs where there seemed to be this push and pull between humanity and technology to the point where at times you, you almost felt like okay I can't tell if this is going to be something really good or something <laughs> really fucked up you know what I mean and yeah. It's amazing that in like, you know, that we were th- that you guys were thinking like that in 1986. And what was it that had you thinking like that that early on? And for me, um I've always been interested in what people define as science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Asimov and uh, uh guys like this were writing really interesting uh ideas and uh and I grew up, you know, reading, you know, Roger Zelazny and, and Asimov and these guys. And uh, it got me on the path of thinking, you know, uh, in line with what they were interested in. And uh, and then sort of just traveling the world at that time. Um, you know, this 86 was, uh, you know, we were just two, two to three years into our career at that point. And, mm-hmm. The world was a, a big, wide, unknown space to me, and I was just soaking it all in and seeing what was happening in other parts of the world and applying it to uh, the music that I was writing. And it was, uh, it all just kind of fit, you know. I found myself in some really interesting places with interesting people with interesting thoughts and uh, really great conversations that lasted for hours, you know, and well into the morning. Uh, oftentimes and uh, you know these discussions you know led to uh, you know contemplation and contemplation always leads to uh, writing you know Mm -hmm. so there we are you know one of the things that I I was thinking about especially you know to kind of cut well actually the song New Regal is one of the things that really connected with me a lot and especially with the whole um, you know Greta Thunberg movement, and even you know to to a, you know to a point, Chemical Youth, We Are Rebellion. Like it's amazing that these songs, you know, kind of basically talking about an uprising to kind of you know use your voice and to be heard. Was seeing mm-hmm. this this global this this um, uh, climate change movement with Thunberg kind of did that kind of hit you in a way and like almost kind of be like yeah I saw that coming. It hit me in a way that I'm glad it's coming. I think that we have to, uh, it's unfortunate in the sense that we have to rely on the young people to make radical changes in, in the world that we've uh, spent so long fucking up, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it, to protect the place that you live. You know, you don't, you don't shit in your own box. So speak, you know, <laughs> right, exactly, live. yeah. And, and that, is what, that is what some people who are 
in power, people that have the money, that's what they expect others to do. You know, um, there's this, this relentless um, pursuit of wealth is the undoing of us all, mm-hmm. really. You have to balance that out. I mean, how much money do they need, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not a millionaire, and I live a very satisfying life. I'm very happy. Mm-hmm. I can do most things I want to do. You know, I still have to budget, you know, to, to make ends meet here and there. But, my God, you know, do you need billions and billions and billions to be happy at, at the cost of other people's and the planet's survival? It makes no sense. No sense at all. I think there's a there's a growing concern amongst the, the young people of the world that it, it 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 doesn't even have a logical explanation. This kind of behavior. So, you know, they're they're finally going. Hey, enough is enough. We can vote now. We're going to kick you old fat guys out of the office. You know, and I think that's what should be done. I mean, I, I honestly believe. Why are people voting for billionaires? Mm-hmm. Never put a billionaire in the office that's going to dictate your life. They don't give a fuck about you. Right. They do not give a fuck about you. They only care about their bottom line and how much money they can make. That's their that's their their mindset, you know? You know, when when I think about when I was say like, you know, Greta Thunberg's age, when I was that age, like I don't know that I ever thought like my generation has to take, you know, like I kind of looked at the the older generation and was like, you know, th- they're taking care of us. They're doing this, you know, and, you know, in hindsight, looking back on it, there's probably a lot more that the youth could have done or whatever could have been involved with. But, you know, we come from a generation where we're told, you know, you listen to your elders, you respect your elders. And it's a different mm-hmm. time. This generation is like, no, I don't want to fucking respect somebody who says that, you know, the polar ice caps aren't melting and shit. Like, you guys are going to be dead in 20 years. Like, I'm 16. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, you guys are basically right. fucking up the world that I'm going to have to grow up in. They, we don't want you to dismantle Social Security just because you can. You know, <laughs> we want to have a future, too, and have some retirement. And why don't we have and why don't we have. Uh, adequate uh, medical coverage like the rest of the civilized world does. We we sit, our leaders in our country, the United States, spend so much time uh, posturing about how great the country is and it's the greatest country in the world. It's not. No. It is not. Maybe at one brief time after World War II and when we had some victory over overwhelming odds and we were part of a team of, of different countries that helped liberate a section of the world. Yeah, maybe we were winning and we were great at that point, but man, we have slipped. Our infrastructure is is crumbling. We have the worst roads, we have the worst engineering. I mean, who designs our freeways nowadays? You know, uneducated people with no concept of math. I mean, the curves are wrong, you know? You go to other places and travel and see what they've got. It's staggering. You know? Oh my We I... just got the chip. We just got the chip on our credit cards. Mm-hmm. You know, Europe is well past the chip now. They're onto the next new tech technology, and we're just wrapping our heads around that chip. They're so <laughs> they're so far ahead of us in so many areas, and yet we're still touting how great we are. We could be if everybody would just get off their ego plane and realize that in order to be great, you have to work together. You can't have the polarization that we have in this country. You cannot have people 
you know, calling each other names and, and, and standing their ground for their little piece of ground that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It's a country, it's a group of people that need to work and live together. And to do that, you have to have a sense of compromise and open-mindedness and look at the big picture. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and sorry. like, oh, we're no, sorry. no, no. We're getting off on a real unrock and roll tangent, aren't we? In my opinion, you know, rock and roll has always been about, you know, rebellion and, you know, th- you know thinking. Um, I just put out a book recently. It was my first book, and it was basically about my journey as a metalhead from 1984 to now. And one of the things that I realized as I was putting up you know, these series of essays and everything was that, you know, as a whole, you know, most music fans are very concerned with the world, you know, and especially if you're in touch with bands like, again, like, you know, you know, Queensryche, bands like Rush, band, you know, any, any kind of, you know, you know, Pink Floyd, any kind of bands that had some sort of thought process to their music was very much appealing to me and you know that's one of the things i do this podcast for is because i like it to go wherever it goes i don't have an agenda to just uh, you know you know sorry jeff let's just talk rock do you know what I'm... <laughs> but one What's of the things your favorite color <laughs> <laughs> you know, like how do you like your hamburger you know or whatever but you know Actually, one of the things you you touched on, which I thought was brilliant, when you're talking about how like you know America isn't really the best country at all, and I totally agree. And I I I've never left the United States ever until a few months ago. Um, I went to London with uh, my wife, and I met some friends there who I'd never met in person, and we were out pub hopping and whatnot, which is you know what they do, and. They were asking me tons and tons of questions and the more, you know, as far as like, you know, like, like our culture and political and healthcare and stuff. And the more questions they asked me, the dumber I felt giving them honest (laughs) answers. Like the first question out of my friend's wife's mouth was like, is it true you have to pay to have a baby? And I was just like, oh, yes. And she was like, I heard a rumor that they actually charge you $40 to hold the baby. I'm like, yes, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) We have have a lot of challenges, though. Mm -hmm. And we can't keep burying our head in the sand thinking that we're something we're not. And I don't think there's any way to to quantify or qualify what is best in a country anyway. but I do think that as a country, we should take care of our people. And Absolutely. we don't do that. The American dream, the American ideal was, and the whole reason why the place was set up in the first place, was to make money. That people could come here and they could do whatever they wanted to do and they could make money. And it's a capitalistic society and that's just it, right? And okay, that's our, that's our tradition. That's our heritage if there is anything you know uh, that you could call american heritage or, or tradition that's it we're mm-hmm. capitalistic you know we're going to eat you for lunch society right <laughs> pretty much and you can make a lot of money here where you can't do that in other countries because mm-hmm. other countries are more regulated right you know? america like i'm in the wine business mm-hmm. right and i have my own wine label and you know i make wine and sell it around the world well, America, you don't need a license to do that. You don't need any kind of training to do that. You can just, you know, Joe Blow can set up his own winery, his own brewery, and make his product and sell it on the world market, whatever he wants to do. You can't do that in France. 
you can't do that in Spain. You know, you can't do that in Germany, for God's sakes. No, right. it's regulated. You have to go to school. You have to get training. You have to get a license. You have to be tested. You know, <laughs> you got to be responsible. <laughs> Not in America. No, it's like strap on your six gun, get out there, start shooting, you know. And in one way, that's very romantic. And, and again, that's part of our tr- American tradition. Mm-hmm. But is it really applied to today's world where we have 300, what, how many people we have in this country now? 300 million people. Is it really, does that still apply, you know, to, to have that sort of haphazard approach to things? Shouldn't mm-hmm. we take care of our population? Shouldn't we have safety nets and setups so that uh, people that are less advantaged than other people can still make a living or get ahead or, or survive? You know, do we really need to kick everybody to the side of the curve and, you know, hurdle the dead, so to speak? Right. We really need that kind of thing going on anymore. Or, or, or is it, you know, it's now the 21st century. Shouldn't we be looking at how can we make America great again by taking care of America, taking care of our people, mm-hmm. you know? There are aspects of being an American. And obviously, I mean, I grew up here. I was, I was born here. I was raised here. And there's so many aspects of being an American that, you know, I feel like we all take for granted. Kind of like you said, like, I mean... You know, I started a podcast. I started a blog. I started doing all this. I, you know, I didn't go to school for it. I knew I could do whatever I wanted, you know, and not mm-hmm. every, you know, and I can broadcast it on the Internet. Not everybody has that kind of freedom, you know, but like you said, at the same time, you know, it costs me literally an arm to go get my arm looked at. Some other countries that, you know, they can go in and they're taken care of. Their people are taken care of. Yeah. The people that are arguing about that healthcare shouldn't be free in, in, our, in this country are people that are in support of the medical industry and the pharmaceutical age, uh, companies. And they don't want to see their millions and billions and billions that they make. They don't want to see that suffer, you know, understandably, but my God, you know, do you really need that much money? Do you really need it? Seriously. And like, is there a reason that like my 76 year old mother has to go out and pay $150 for a prescription because she's, you know, reached her maximum. And I'm, I'm, I just don't understand that. It just, it goes beyond my, you know, comprehension at all. Yeah. It's not a moral thing. It's again, it's based upon what I was saying earlier about profits. Profits mean everything in America to the people in power, mm-hmm. everything. You do not matter. Your individual doesn't matter. You're just a number to them. To me, the, those very things were what was a big part of you know the album Rage for Order and a lot of the songs, like you said, like Resistance and you know even Best I Can. Oh, by the way, you like how I boomeranged that back, right? I like the way you did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the rock, Jeff. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like you I brought said, it back around. I, you know what? I, I was, I was, try, I was, I was going. How am I going to do this? <laughs> you know? so, but no, but but again, the, the, I did. Again, you know, like I said, I love the fact that so many of those topics were touched on with Rage for Order, and then even going into um, uh, Empire. While Empire was a little more kind of like what you said, like loose with certain things, like you still had songs like Best I Can and Empire and Resistance, which very much seemed to capture that, you know, that current event kind of thing. 
What was it that got you off of that, though, to go into songs like, I don't know, like Jet City Woman, you know, Another Rainy Night, Hand on Heart, One and Only? Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like was it hard to just kind of go off and do these kinds of songs on their own as opposed to trying to stick to this kind of, I don't know, like this dark, serious kind of topic? Mm. Well, I wouldn't say it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it, you know, uh, the whole project was uh, an experiment. We had been working in kind of more of a conceptual process, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and working with uh, storytelling and that kind of thing over the uh, you know length of an album. And when it came time to do the Empire album for the writing sessions, we... Chris and I had talked about uh, maybe shortening the the storytelling instead of you know trying to create a, an album of a story, try to create the story within each song. Mm-hmm. And so that was really our approach was to condense the storytelling into a song by song format, and also to experiment with uh, creating like a a framework musically uh, that was able to stand on its own without uh, a whole lot of production. Right. Um, it kind of mim- making a more minimalist approach to mm-hmm. the music, I guess I would say. And uh, so taking those two ideas, that's, that's what we started with on the approach to making record. So picture me, um, I'm living on my sailboat at the time, and I'm in, in Seattle, it's surrounded by water. Mm-hmm. And there's this uh, wonderful, huge lake that's right in the middle called Lake Union, mm-hmm. right in the middle of the city. And you're, you're surrounded by buildings on each side of you. And so there I am living on my boat, sitting on my boat, writing these, uh, these songs for the Empire album and uh, missing my wife who's traveling at the time, uh, thinking about, you know, the loneliness of... Uh, of being uh, away, you know, from each other and, uh, and and isolated in a sense. Even though I'm in the center of this giant city, sitting in this puddle of water, I'm st- I, I still feel very alone and isolated, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of those songs uh, came from that. And then um, the other, a lot of the other songs came from just looking around what was happening in my city that I was living in at the time and. Uh, and then focusing, you know, globally as well as to uh, looking back at my traveling experiences and pulling from my notes that I take. Uh, I always keep notes wherever I go. Right. But uh, yeah, that was really the scene, you know. And then once we had enough, uh, well, we felt like we had enough music, you know, then we we would get together and share the um, the sketches that we'd made and uh, start you know, making, making the record then. There was definitely a more personal approach. I I had to say, or that I Mm -hmm. noticed with some of these songs where, you know, like I said, like with mind crime, it was such an intense story. And even though a lot of, uh, you know, those topics were very personal and they were very much from your own thoughts and your own, you know, emotions and feelings of society and the world to me to hear a song like hand on heart, you know, and like 
you know, one and only. To me, that was very much just as even more personal because I felt like those were very, you know, autobiographical at times of like a very personal time in your life. Um, was was there some sort of um, um, <laughs> I hate to use the pun, but was there some sort of like resistance to kind of open yourself up like that to to your listeners and to fans, or was that something that you were excited about doing? Honestly, I didn't really think about it in that way. Um, I think what what happened was is that um, the music surrounding the lyrics. Mm-hmm became less dramatic like the music generally on empire is a lot less dramatic than it is on rage for order mm-hmm. or operation Mindcrime, for example uh those albums are hugely uh bombastic and you know they they the music is so um What's another word I can use besides dramatic? It's like um, almost over the top, you know, like very yeah, kind of, of more, you know. much more cinematic. Yeah, you know? that's a better word. Where, yeah. where, where Empire was really just, you know, simple songs mm-hmm. about complex issues or romantic uh, involvement or just simply, I'm missing you, you know, and I'm thinking about you a lot. And but the music itself wasn't bombastic or you know, cinematic or dramatic. It was just mm-hmm. nice music, you know, that you could listen to and it had a good beat. And some of the songs you could even dance to. <laughs> you know? You'll see me dancing in Atlanta, you know, like, Hey, <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. since I've been on tour, I've seen so many wonderful, uh, exhibitions of interpretive dance at the shows. It's, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> More than I've seen in on tours as of late, you know, because mind crime you can't really dance to that. And I spent you know, right. twenty four months touring that record. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny. As we were talking, I was like, I'm gonna have to see if I can come up with an interpretive dance for you know resistance, you know. But you know, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens though. But if you bring a protest sign or something clever to say on a sign, you get in for a discounted ticket price. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'll have to start thinking about that too. Let some friends of mine know that. But um, um, but yeah. Um, so you know, we're talking about Rage for Order. We're talking about Empire. And you know, one of the things I've loved with your post Queensrÿche performances, I like. I've really loved them so much. I mean, I've been a fan of yours for 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 decades. But one of the things I loved about your post QR performances is that it's so nice to see the focus put on the songs and the performances and the performers with this kind of stripped down, you know, stage. Like, do you ever miss the massive productions of show tours like, you know, Building Empires and Promised Land? Or do you like this kind of more condensed, like, focus? Well, I like uh, I like them both for different mm-hmm. reasons. Um, you know, when I describe to you know some of the guys that my younger musicians that are playing with me now, the amount of money that we spent back in the day putting together like uh, the production for the Empire tour, they they're just their jaws drop to the floor. You know, they can't even imagine. That. <laughs> and 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 actually, I feel. 
quite odd actually trying to explain it and justify it, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> it was and, a great show you know, though. It was an incredible show. Yeah, it was a great show. It was a great show. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, you know, make any money from it cause we spent it all on the show, but that's beside the point. It was a great show. <laughs> but, um, I find that with a leaner, uh, meaner production, mm-hmm. I can go to more places and play, you know, and to me, that's what's ultimately important is that I try to go everywhere I possibly can and, and play my music for the people that want to come to the show, you know, and I try to get everywhere I can. I mean, I, I try to do, you know, over 200 dates a year mm-hmm. on the road and uh, it's just, honestly, it's impossible to get everywhere. Uh, it's just logistically impossible and there's so many different challenges to getting the show to Toronto for example mm-hmm. you know uh, yes I always want to play Toronto but sometimes I can't play it when I want to sometimes I have to put it off until we come around the area again because mm-hmm. it makes more sense logistically you know and the venue that I want to play in is not available so I can't get it that date that works out for me so I have to wait till I can get it right you know um, sometimes people write like on uh, social media they go you're not coming to Toronto for example I mean <laughs> you can you could put any city in there you know you're not putting that you're not coming to Toronto well it's not that I'm not coming to Toronto it's just that I can't. Toronto isn't on this set of dates right now right I'm going up and it doesn't mean that I don't like Toronto or I want to. I don't want to play Toronto. It just means I I can't at the moment play Toronto. Right. <laughs> you know. And that's the interesting thing with social media is that I have a friend of mine who's in who's in a band also, and he told me he said he says if every person who said you should come to insert town here because if every person showed mm-hmm. up because we could play an arena. You know? uh. <laughs> he was like, he's like, he's like, we show up and there's like 25 people there, and he's like, 50 of you asked when we were coming back, like, where are you? <laughs> you know? And this is this is kind of a funny thing that happens all the time. And I'm not exaggerating. Uh, we'll have this great show in Dallas, mm-hmm. you know, just amazing show. People will be right down. Oh my God, the show in Dallas last night was incredible, incredible. And you, you you go down the thread a little ways, and somebody goes, "When are you guys playing Dallas? I really want to come to the show." <laughs> <laughs> I have seen really? that in so many bands saying, and they're like, "Oh, we were just there two nights ago." <laughs> yeah, yeah. How come I didn't know about this? Well, because you need know. you need better friends, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but you, but that's so funny that you were talking about that, but. You know, so you know, we were talking about you know the Promised Land tour just now, but like speaking of Promised Land, you know, next year it's going to be twenty five, which I, again, is is you know mind boggling to me. But have you given any thought to possibly performing that album in full? Well, no, I haven't thought that far ahead. Actually, Don, I'm. Uh... I'm just barely got my head wrapped around this tour. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now I've totally fucked it up for you because now you're going to be like, oh my God, should I be doing that now? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to be thinking about it now because I've, that's one of my favorite albums. And uh, yeah, we have performed that album in its entirety though before with Queensryche. So it's not like a bucket list thing for me, but it is a great album. And 
you could make an interesting show from that, you know. Oh, it's a bucket list for me because I've never seen it performed in full. Now, I, was, I saw the Promised Land tour, but I never got to see it played in full, which, you know, I think would just be fantastic to hear. And, you know, kind of reflecting back on very similar topic to Rage for Order was that there was a lot of songs on Promised Land that were also very forward thinking. And that album really means a lot to me because when that album came out, I was turning into an adult. I was like 20, you know, turning 21 years old. You know, I was at this crossroads in my life. Technology was starting. You know, I had friends who were getting computers and, you know, even a song like, you know, my global mind was all of a sudden telling me where I was going to be going with that. Do you look at any of those songs the same way that you do say with the rage songs and say like, you know, yeah, those that I was really thinking forward on, some of that material well i haven't actually visited that album in a while you know i could say this it was an interesting time because we'd just come off of the the success of the empire album and tour and uh the tour was very hard on Mm -hmm. everybody i think and just the the amount of success that we achieved with empire we weren't just a rock band anymore We'd, we'd we'd been thrust into this new um, sort of upper echelon of pop um, stardom, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I, for one, was really uncomfortable with that. You know, they were asking me to come on talk shows, and oh my God, it was very difficult for me at that time to mm-hmm. even think about, you know, being on Oprah or anything like that. <laughs> and um, and then they were talking, you know, they wanted to make action figure dolls out of us and I, I just drew the line and said, no, I'm out, you know, <laughs> call me when you got something more real, you know? <laughs> so I, I kind of disappeared for a while and the band didn't make, didn't, didn't meet, didn't make music for mm, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And we all kind of just went our separate ways. And, you know, some of us got married, some of us started families, some of us lost it all at the dog track, you know, <laughs> some people <laughs> bought houses and condos and, all this, you know, and um, it, it, it was really weird because we were so fragmented and just, you know, distant from each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took a great act of uh, organization to get the band back together in order to make the Promised Land album. Mm-hmm. In fact, we uh, we actually made ourselves get together and go to this remote island and build a studio there and to record to be away from family, friends, hangers on, our life back home, everything had to be like, you know, shut down in order to focus on, on making music again. Right. And so Promised Land was the, uh, was the album that we made then. So it, it's very introspective, you know, and very, uh, self-critical, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, looking at, what had transpired from the years before and, you know, working so hard with a nose to the grindstone, trying to get that brass ring of success. And then once you get the success, you go, wait a minute, this is what I've been fighting for all this time. This is what I've been suffering for. And this is what I put everything on hold to do was to get here, you know? And, uh, so there's a lot of disillusionment, you know, with, uh, the lyrics on, on that record and, lot of feeling of being separate and disconnected and 
but at the same time, being very aware that the world is going on around us and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that need to plug in and find out what's happening, you know, is, is there as well. So, I don't know, all, all those things are, are, are very much associated for, with that record for me. So I have a lot of uh, deep connection to it, you know. I can't think of it in terms of uh, being subjective, I guess. I think that's what, yes, because I remember we talked, uh, uh, when we talked a couple of years ago, um, I had brought up the Promised Land album, and you were a little hesitant on it. You were like, yeah, I don't know if I really loved that album. <laughs> or like, But you did touch on the fact that it was kind of a, a very introspective and kind of like coming off of an exhausting time in your life, you know, with mm-hmm. coming off of that such a long tour but one of the things i noticed that you did just in talking was a a lot of these lyrics a lot of the words that you just told me actually are words from the song promised land so is is -hmm. is that kind of what promised land was about was that kind of that line where you said it's not what i expected you know Mm -hmm. is, is is that kind of your reflection on people basically just thinking like wow you've got it made and you're like wow this is not what i thought it was going to be do you know what i mean yeah that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell it's uh it, it's a it's a weird thing to because we as society we are taught and um actually propelled to succeed and to win and to be the best you know and mm-hmm. and uh oftentimes when you're involved with that kind of endeavor, you get to a point of reaching this pinnacle and you look around yourself and you think, is this it? Is this all? And it, it oftentimes it seems very, um, vacuous, you know, just sort of like, uh, doesn't have any substance to it, you know? Right. Uh, unless you're, unless you have strong, deep relationships, unless you have some sort of spiritual connection with, uh, I don't know, a higher power or the people around you, or um, unless you have something substantial to to, to hold you up, uh, success and money and fame—it's it, really empty. Really is. Right. I guess what I should say is like. The important things in life, from my opinion, are your connections with your family mm-hmm. and your friends and your loved ones. That That is where everything emanates from. You know, uh, everybody that I've ever known that is becomes somewhat famous goes through this kind of process of trying to find where reality is again. Because mm-hmm. uh, you can really you can really get off track, you know, and, and lose yourself. And a lot of times people lose themselves in the vices of drugs and alcohol, you know, mm-hmm. and then once they get on that track, it's oftentimes, you know, a dead end, you know. What was it that kept you from, because so many bands, especially from your, you know, your era and your who were your peers at the time, kind of fell victim to things like that. Like, what was it that kept you from being a casualty to those those vices like drugs and heavy use of alcohol i have to say my wife susan she's just Mm -hmm. a rock yeah she doesn't let me get away with that kind of self-indulgent existence you know uh which i think is is really good 
because I could easily just shift gears and slip off into self-destructive uh, mm-hmm. behavior, you know. Yeah, she doesn't let me do that. <laughs> she won't suffer it. She won't put up with it. She doesn't put up with it with anybody in her life, you know. And, uh, she just doesn't suffer that at all. So I really have her to thank because that, that, the promised land time was very difficult to mm-hmm. go through it for me. And she really was uh, the strength in our relationship that, that got me back with the band and moving and making records again, mm-hmm. you know. The last time we talked, I wanted to ask you kind of like a series of like fun questions because like when I was a kid, I used to always want to ask these kinds of questions to artists. And so now that I have you, I'm going to ask you some of these if you don't mind. And they're just kind of lighthearted, but I'd love to hear your answers to them. Okay. I'll try. I'll, I'll try. Okay. So do I need do I need to make a coffee first or, or <laughs> launch right into it? <laughs> you can do whatever you want, man. I have nowhere to be. <laughs> <laughs> or a glass of wine too you know hey it is afternoon so you know i mean yeah well, that's true it's five o'clock somewhere it, it, always you know so well no, so go ahead lunch and i'll see what i can do if I, i'll see if i can uh rise to the occasion and be fun all right <laughs> so let's see if you could uh if you could sing for one band you know if just for one night who would it be Oh gosh, that's a fun question. Um, hmm. Well, there's a couple that I would uh, want to uh, be part of. I'd say probably Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen them several times, and, and they were phenomenal, phenomenal show. Um, not so much showmen, you mm-hmm. know, but uh, phenomenal show. And mm. great musicians, and um, it was wonderfully crafted. You know, one of one of the things um, of a more recent uh, band is this band that I tour with called Avantasia. They're a, a oh. uh, bass band. Uh, Tobias Samet. Samet. Yes. Yeah, he's uh, incredible. Actually, incredible musician. Incredibly nice person very giving and um, supportive of, uh, of artists. And uh, he writes this beautiful music that I love. And um, I, I go on the tours and uh, toured with them on their world tour last year, which was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then we're doing uh, the festival tours in Europe this summer. And I'd highly suggest anybody um, that hasn't seen the band to, to fly over and, and visit some of these festivals where the band is playing because it's it's an amazing show. But I love every song, mm-hmm. and that's so rare for me. Uh, as a writer, you're always a you know bit well you know that that chord change that I don't like that or oh, that melody line well, why did he go there why didn't he do a third above that or you know you're always critiquing it right or like that song's just never, okay you know <laughs> there's never there's never an album that you you listen to and you go oh my god that's a great album I mean I, uh-huh. I love every song but I'm that way with Avantasia's music I just love every every track and I wish I could sing every every song you know difficult and the hardest thing about touring with Avantasia is staying sober <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but it, it's like this. It's a three-hour show, and there's seven guest singers 
right? Oh, yeah. And so everybody's, we're all doing, I mean, I, I think I sing four songs. Mm-hmm. And so in between my songs, you know, you you sit in the green room or you're, you know, the, they have a huge meet and greet and people coming in and out. And so you're, mm-hmm. you're entertaining and you're drinking and you're telling stories and having laughs. And before you know it, it's your, it's your time to perform again. So you go out there and then, you know, sometimes you realize, oh, gee, maybe I shouldn't be running right now. <laughs> maybe I should stay in one place for a minute and get my bearings, you know, because uh, it's really hard to stay, you know, sober. <laughs> Especially when you're like, oh, it's going to be 30 minutes before my next song. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I don't. My first song is an hour into the show. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's amazing. I mean, what a great band, though. That's a, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, you're surrounded. I mean, just incredible. Vo- I mean, Michael Kisk, Jorn Lande. I mean, those are just I mean, those are so, did you strike like a, a, a friendship with any of these guys? Like, say, like Yorn or, you know, even like Michael Kisk and to, to the point where you're like, yeah, I'd love to collaborate with these guys. Yeah, I've actually I actually never had heard of a lot of the singers before. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them I'd heard their name, but I'd never heard their music before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really opened up my my musical world to a whole section of different people you know and and different music and different musicians and it's been such a great experience and i'm really very thankful uh to toby for inviting me along and including me in his uh this beautiful fantasy world that he's created because it's very special very unique and i'm glad that the the world in general has embraced his music and and seen uh how special it is you know because he's very very successful you know, they're headlining uh, the the Vakken Festival this year, Jeremy, which is the the biggest heavy metal show in the world. There's going to be ninety seven, ninety eight thousand people there this year. Unbelievable! It's enormous. Yeah, I'd love to go see that, to be honest. <laughs> but I'd have to stand way in the back. I could not be up front for that. <laughs> Oh, you know me, you know. <laughs> Be like, hey, Jeff, can you like hook me up real quick? <laughs> Just like behind the back. I can hook you up. I can hook you up. Don, Don I know a few people. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, let me tell you, I'm, I, I, w- I will totally utilize that, by the way. So <laughs> you're going to be sorry Feel you told free. me that. <laughs> well, so no, I really would. I really encourage people to see to see the show because it's. It's very special, and to pick up the albums, uh, the last two albums especially, are my favorites: um, uh, Ghost Lights and um, Moon Glow. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because I'm on those records uh, performing, but uh, I just really feel those are like incredibly strong records. Just uh, such a such a great body of work, and it's so yeah. What's the, it's it's just like. I mean, he's so driven to make that. It's ambitious, you know, how much yeah. to make albums like that. It is. Yeah, each album is a story. And uh, it's, it's so much thinking that goes into it and so much planning. And uh, he is, uh, he's the sole songwriter, you know, and he mm-hmm. comes up with these amazing, amazing ideas. And then he has his, his group of people that, uh, help them put it together and they they make these beautiful albums and then they call uh, they have a bucket list of performers and singers and musicians that they want to include uh, that they're inspired by and so 
apparently I was on that bucket list and he called me and said, uh, my name is Toby and I have a project that I'd like to have you participate in if you're interested. And I'd never heard of him, you know, and, uh, he said that, can I send you the music? And I said, well, sure. And then I called my agent. I go, have you ever heard of this Aventasia band? They're interested in having me be part of their, <laughs> their, their thing. And my agent says, do it. Do it. <laughs> do it now. <laughs> Even if you say no, I'm going to say yes for you. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, for me, it's always about the music first. I, I have to right. be able to wrap my head around what they're doing. And the first time I heard the music, I was like, sprung you know i was oh yeah i'm doing this definitely mm-hmm. well so speaking of like just your love for music and your love for you know just passion you mentioned floyd and everything like what are some albums that young jeff hold himself up in his room and listens to on a regular basis oh god well i was super into uh emerson lake and palmer Mm. And uh, I bought I bought everything they had because I of course started my musical career as a keyboard player, mm-hmm. so I was a huge Keith Emerson fan. And uh, it's funny enough, my uh, my school my school uh, friend uh, John and I we worked all summer uh, at various jobs to get enough money so that we could buy uh, electrical components so we could build our own synthesizer solely so that we could play the solo of Lucky Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Please tell me you yeah. still have that set up. <laughs> no, I don't. It, it got uh, lost in all my travels, but I wish I did. That is That's a... Well, yeah, I was really into that. I, I started out uh, heavily into the Beatles, uh, Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. um, Gosh, uh, of course, Pink Floyd. I'm a huge fan of them. Uh, Genesis and Peter Gabriel. Their whole catalog of music really got me. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I was a huge Yes fan. Oh, In fact, one of the, you know, the term fanboy, right? Yes. It's a pretty acceptable term nowadays. Mm-hmm. I The only time I've ever fanboyed out was when I was at an awards ceremony um, two years ago. And they asked me to give a lifetime achievement award to John Anderson, the singer for Yes. Right. <laughs> and I, I was in like, I don't know. I've never felt like that before. I was like trembling, and you know, I was, uh, so I was uh, Mr. Anderson. Uh, <laughs> uh, I really like your music. <laughs> it's like you were fourteen again. You know, you're like, uh. I was like I was fourteen. You know, listening to. Uh, John's solo album, Elias' Sun Hillow, which still to this day is an album that just blows my mind. I don't, I don't know how he made that record at that time. I think it came out in 1976. And the sounds on that record, you, you, you can't duplicate that stuff, even today. Uh, and they were doing it with rudimentary, you know, synthesizers back then. And, mm-hmm. and I had a, I was fortunate to have a short conversation with him backstage before the ceremony and I asked him specifically about that record and he was telling me stories about it and I was just blown away by well one he was a very kind man mm-hmm. and uh, I think he took pity on me and recognized quickly that I was you know losing my shit 
<laughs> I love that. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah. how cute. <laughs> yeah, how cute. Uh-huh. So you like pat you on the head, you know? It's like... <laughs> well, you know, these, these artists that have put out, you know, multiple albums of uh, a huge body of work, like, mm-hmm. like Yes, for example, uh, you just don't see that happening, you know, on a in the world anymore mm-hmm. uh, and they're still making music and uh, interesting music and they're still writing about their life and their experiences and you know how they see things and um, I I hope that that kind of thing doesn't ever go away because I think it's very important to our existence you know as a, mm-hmm. as a world society and uh, I just have so much respect for artists like that that are still doing it you know Absolutely. I mean, and you're still doing it as well. I mean, you know, you just put out a great trilogy of albums under the Mind Crime moniker. You know, you've got two incredible solo albums that I absolutely love. I mean, are, are you are we going to see another Jeff Tate album or another Mind Crime album or like what is under your what's under your sleeve for something like that as far as continuing to make new music? Well, Don, I I am constantly working on new music mm-hmm. and I have a whole collection of um, stuff that I I can't quite figure out what I'm going to do with it yet. Um, do I package it up as a record? Do I mm-hmm. make a, several EPs out of it? Do I release it song by song? Um, there's so many options these days because the old model is gone now, you know? Right. Um, record companies are, are worthless, and um, you could do you could put out you know pretty much what you want on your own social media now you know, and why not? So, I've chosen not to think about it at the moment, but to focus on the touring aspect of my life, and and uh, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. A friend of mine that I was talking to one day, he said, you know, the good news now is that anybody can make an album. And he said, the bad news is that anybody can make an album. <laughs> you know, So it's like, is there just too much out there to, 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 to capture someone's attention? Well, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of stuff. There's mm-hmm. a lot of entertainment. There's a lot of music. There's a lot of people talking, you know, about mm-hmm. stuff. And so, yeah, you get, you start as an audience, I think you start being very selective about what you're willing to spend your time on because you only have so much time and you have only have so much resources to pull from. So right. what are you going to do? Are you going to spend a hundred bucks to come see Jeff Tate at the, at the venue? Or are you going to, you know, buy four records from people that you've never heard of before? Uh, or that are new, you know, it's just a lot of decisions to make. And there's just so much out there now that it's uh, difficult for people, I think, to uh, choose. I only have a couple more questions for you, but one of the second to last one is, what song do you always have to sing along with every time you hear it? Well, if somebody else's? Yeah. You know, like if you're just like listening to, you know, you know, serious radio or whatever it is or even just your, your music that you're listening to at home like what do you just be like I have to sing along to that song and you just find yourself doing it um, well I usually don't listen to music uh, very much mm-hmm. 
I know that sound might sound strange, but I'm constantly surrounded by music, so I, <laughs> I tend to cherish the silence. There's this new band that um, I got turned on to uh, by my daughter. Uh, they're called Bring Me the Horizon. And uh, I quite like the several records that I've got from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do this one song called Doomed. Mm-hmm. And man, it's a fun song to sing. It's it's, uh, it's so dramatic. Mm-hmm. And the mu- musicality of it is it goes from a very low uh, vocal approach to an mm-hmm. incredibly high vocal approach with uh, a real desperate sort of uh, delivery. And so it's it's very fun to uh, play around with that and sing along to it, especially when you're in a car with a whole bunch of people packed in there and they can't get away from you because you're driving and you're turning it up really loud. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, to, to some of my friends' dismay and my wife's dismay, I, I tend to sing along with more than a feeling, you know, and my, uh, my wife's like, really, please stop, please, just don't even try to hit that Oh, I always, turn that, I always turn that one off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jeff, now we're in a fight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, for my last question for you is, I, I love asking this one, is that uh, when I grow up, I want to be what? Oh, when I grow up, I want to be... Well, I, I did that. I, I wanted to be me. <laughs> when I was young, my, my mom was trying to decide what I was going to be. That's mm-hmm. what kind of mom she was. And uh, she made me go to all these different career days, you know, um, put on by your school or whatever. And I mm-hmm. had to go to all these different programs to, I guess, to inspire you to be something, you know. Right. To give you a lot, a lot of things to choose from. And she decided after I went to several of these that I should be a social worker. So I, I started looking into becoming a social worker mm-hmm. and I, I'm horrible at it. Yeah. I'm just not patient enough. You know, if somebody has a, if somebody has a problem and you know, I offer them a solution and they don't take it, then I'm done. You know, <laughs> you'd be terrible at that job, Jeff. <laughs> I know I, I'm terrible at that job. I, I'm not cut out for it. <laughs> Well, Jeff, as usual, I feel like I could talk to you all day. You're such an amazing person, and you're always just a, a, a joy to talk to, and it's always so much fun just conversing with you. No problem, Don. It was always a pleasure to get in touch with you again, and uh, it's always uh, a, a wonderful interview. Well, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to Atlanta. Well, we will be there, and we will be rocking. No mistaking that. <laughs> I love it, Jeff. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Don. See you again, huh?